welcome to the Weekly Wrap podcast by the National Farmers Federation. Here's this week's update. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be here. Um, As Dave said, I'm a local, so when he was shamelessly lobbying me to come tonight, although I didn't need much persuasion, um, it was a great thing to be able to come to my local area um, to an organisation that has um, really been quite special to me, even though I haven't actually done a Nuffield scholarship. I'm, I'm extremely honoured to join you tonight and very, very humbled to join a really distinguished lineup of agricultural luminaries, I'd have to say, and great Australians. And I know Donald McGecky, who's sitting right there in front of me, is one of them. So, Donald, um, absolutely want to acknowledge you um, and uh, very humbled to join. Um, that lineup to deliver tonight the George Wilson narration. From what I've read, George was certainly a passionate and committed agricultural leader himself. And there's no doubt that firstly as a scholar and then as Day said, as the founding Australian Nuffield Farming Scholars Association Chair, he and his wife Faye made enormous professional but more importantly personal contributions to an industry that they felt very passionately about. And of course, they laid the foundations for Nuffield Australia to continue to thrive and become the highly respected leadership group that it has now become. Unfortunately, as I said, my leadership journey hasn't included a Nuffield. But every time I meet some of you, when usually just as you're heading off or just returning from your study trips, I am incredibly envious of the opportunity you've been given the time that you'll spend delving into your pet passions, and more importantly, the knowledge that you'll gain, the in-depth learning that you'll acquire, the discovery of self that you'll have, and of course, the wonderful networks that you'll build, both here in Australia and in fact, all over the world. Very apt, putting the world within reach is this year's theme. My leadership journey has been very different. As somebody who was thrust into leadership quite unexpectedly without any of the scaffolding that you'll acquire through your Nuffield journey, I've had to learn on the job and take leadership training as I've been able to fit it in along the way. But now, with over a decade of experience under my belt, I'm excited to have the opportunity to hopefully inspire some of you to use your talents, energies and skills to step up probably for some of you way out of your comfort zones, and recognise the critical role that agricultural policy development plays, not only in the future opportunities and challenges that farmers and agriculturalists face locally here in Australia, but also globally as a community to respond to environmental challenges while we continue to feed and clothe the world. Nuffield has a great tradition of building leaders by giving young people some wonderful foundational leadership skills, learning, knowledge and networks. Tonight, I really want to challenge you to use these skills to become leaders and great contributors in your own rights, not just in your own businesses, but also in your community and in your industry. If you don't already, I really want to challenge you to use your platform for the greater good. Advocacy is a team sport. We are only as good as the sum of our individual parts. 
Suffice to say, there are challenges, some of which I'll discuss tonight. But there are also great rewards and there is always a need for people to step up. Maybe you might be the next David Jahinki, my Vice President, or the Chair of VFF, Emma Germano, both of whom are past Nuffield scholars. I can personally relate to so many aspects of George's story. His personal passion, his respect for the support of his family and his wife, Faye, his quest and enthusiasm for lifelong learning, and his understanding of the importance of looking outside your own personal experience. I think these days we'd call it that echo chamber for personal and professional growth, all resonates strongly with me. I could believe that the theme of this year's conference, putting the world within reach, would have resonated just as strongly with George and Faye as it does here today in 2022. It's interesting to reflect for a moment on the world back in 1976, when the Australian part of Nuffield was formed. And actually a bit scary too, to see some of those Jean Shrimpton-like fashions emerging in the shops again. <clears throat> Although these days we often look back enviously at the 70s in terms of production figures and input costs, the 70s was also a time of domestic, enormous domestic and global upheaval with real impacts on Australian farmers. The first Labor Party government, led by Gough Whitlam in 1972, after 23 years of a Liberal Country Party coalition, initiating massive social change, and the loss of our biggest and most important trading partner, the UK, in 1973 to the European Economic Community, leading to the initiation of crippling tariffs and the devastation of what was then our most important export market overnight. With the implementation of wheat quotas in the late 60s, as a response to the massive domestic crop and global stockpile on top of the UK impacts, many farmers in the early 70s suffered enormous stress. Some were forced out of business altogether as they were simply not allowed to deliver or sell their harvests. Although ultimately Whitlam's era saw farm incomes almost triple, it was certainly a decade of disruption, but also ultimately opportunity where what was happening in the rest of the world and in other countries had a direct and tangible impact on the fortunes and the lives of individual Australian farmers and, of course, ultimately agriculture as a whole too. Fast forward to 2022 and we see some strikingly similar themes emerging. In this post-COVID era, we are still being impacted by supply chain impacts that have seen some farm input prices double, if not triple. Waiting lists for regular items of farm machinery spin out to numbers of years rather than days or months. And unexpected and unwarranted punitive actions by one of our largest trading partners having huge impacts on some of our largest export commodities, changing the fortunes of some of those affected farmers almost overnight. We are now uncomfortably aware of all the items for which we are almost wholly dependent on other countries and other political systems in other countries of the world and have seen unprecedented shortages of regular goods on the supermarket shelves, in our pharmacies and on our farms as our just-in-time supply chains, whether for food or for machinery and spare parts, have failed. 
it's become very apparent that some of our largest supply chains lack the agility to respond quickly to disruption and shock. There's no better example than the Hamburg, Hamburg, humble, humble iceberg lettuce, which only a couple of months ago reached the stratospheric highs of $12 a lettuce to illustrate exactly what happens when supply chains are not agile enough to weather a series of shocks. In this case, a number of devastating weather events, unusual supplies and regular transport routes, coupled with lower plantings than usual, as growers actively responded to the lack of workers available to pick and plant, and supply chains already straining under COVID and health regulations. Because of the concentration of power in our supermarkets, the four largest operators accounting for almost 80% of total industry revenue and 60% in just two supermarket chains, the impacts are magnified even more. In a country like Australia, the lucky country, where we export two-thirds of what we produce, these sorts of food shortages for many consumers have been previously absolutely unimaginable. But now, like many of our COVID lessons, we ignore them at our peril. That's one of the reasons why competition policy remains such a huge foundational pillar of the work that we do at NFF, driven like everything we do now by our 2030 roadmap, which I was very proud to lead in 2018 and now supported by, by industry stakeholders government, and all sides of government. As one of the least subsidised agricultural industries in the world, we rely on being competitive. There is no point in having a globally leading agricultural industry in terms of innovation on our farms if we can't get our product to consumers, either here in Australia or elsewhere in the world, in an efficient and cost-effective way. <clears throat> also outlined in the roadmap are our goals around regionalisation. And we're so excited that this word has now become mainstream rather than its negative cousin, decentralisation. We unashamedly want vibrant, sustainable regional communities and believe that agriculture and energy go hand in hand in designing interconnected precincts and closed loop systems where local manufacturing and value adding is thriving. The way to do this, we believe, is through upfront strategic planning and mapping of our region's natural assets, opportunities and challenges, and then a federal framework where local communities can access best practice strategic planning and mapping expertise to help them target investment from the other two tiers of government and industry appropriate to their vision, their natural assets, and plan for future industries, services and growth. Trade, of course, is also a key part of what we do at NFF, and I chair the Trade Committee myself. I'm pleased to say that following the UK shock back in 1973, we mostly learned our lesson about having all our trade eggs in the one basket. And although China's sanctions certainly hurt some of our industries, most notably the more recent comers to the trade scene like seafood, we now deliver most of our products to a huge variety and number of markets across the world. Red meat, for example, has over 100 offshore destinations. At NFF, most of our activities centre on expanding the number of markets that we deliver to and the products that we deliver to those markets, as well as lowering the tariffs and forming multilateral agreements in the ones that we already have access to. Countries like India 
offer enormous potential, not only in terms of what we can offer their rapidly growing middle class, which is where most of our products find their home, but also in terms of what they can do for us, not only with some of their manufactured goods and medicines, but also some of their people as they seek opportunities elsewhere. Trade has to be a win-win. Trade puts the world within reach. Unfortunately, it seems there are also some parallels in terms of global conflicts. It wasn't until 1975 that we finally saw the end of the Vietnam War. Who would have thought that now, in 2022, we not only still have a number of wars occurring around the world, but also the Ukrainian war, still far from resolved, with massive impacts on food and fuel supply chains globally, with subsequent impacts on food security in a number of countries. We also have two global lead leaders seemingly hell-bent on power agendas at no matter what cost, and our cherished diplomacy failing to heal conflicts or reach consensus right around the world, and yes, in our own region. Protectionism is sadly on the rise, and its disadvantages are many, varied and well-documented, particularly for poor and emerging countries and their people, as innovation and investment declines and competition dies. What seems like a good thing to do for a struggling industry often actually stifles its growth and really damages that country's economy. Although in some ways we seem to be beneficiaries of the Ukrainian war in terms of some of our commodity prices, we know that the wave of protectionism now following will harm the prospects for exporting nations like Australia. The NFF champions global agricultural democracy and credible evidence-led policy through the World Farmers Organisation and chairs the Cairns Group of Farm Leaders that sits alongside the Cairns Group in the WTO, championing the benefits of free trade. All people benefit from a level playing field, and economies and innovation thrive when we put the world within reach. Socially, too, we're in the midst of some significant and interesting conversations. The ability to choose one's own sex and the ability to tie to die at a time of one's own choosing, I think might have seemed unthinkable to George and Faye, yet are now topics being actively considered by not only Australians and Australian communities, but also other communities around the world. Of course, in some of our more mainstream societal issues, we still have a long way to go too. Even though I would think in this room, the role and contribution of women in our workforce is well acknowledged and accepted, in the ASX top 300 companies, there are only 18 women who hold CEO positions. And according to a recent survey by Chief Executive Women, if we keep proceeding at our current rate, it could take another 100 years to achieve gender balance across those 300 companies. According to YGIA, over 85% of Australian employers still pay men more than women, even for the same tasks and the same hours. Unfortunately, in Australian agriculture, both representative bodies and agribusinesses are behind the pack. And anecdotally, I can tell you that many times there are many rooms, many tables that I sit at where I still am the only woman. So why does it matter? In the 70s, gender equality was still a bit of an out there issue. Now, however, we know from the work done by McKinsey and others that diverse groups of people make better, 
and more informed decisions. McKinsey's 2019 analysis found that companies in the top quartile for gender diversity on executive teams were 25% more likely to have above average profitability than companies in the fourth quartile. It's compelling, it's not woke, particularly when you read on and see that the statistics showed that as the representation increased even higher, so did the level of financial outperformance. The statistics in relation to cultural and ethnic diversity were just as compelling. So, diversity in general is better for the company, better for its people, better for its financial stability and more sustainable for the future. Why wouldn't we want a piece of that for agriculture? To help address this, one of the initiatives that I've been really proud to establish and lead during my time at the NFF is the Diversity in Ag Leadership Program, which focuses on two things. Firstly, the development of executive and board-ready women, and secondly, our partner Agribusiness Network, which each year sees partners publicly commit to what they are going to do within their business to move the dial on gender diversity and culture more broadly. With lofty ambitions through our 2030 roadmap to achieve gender parity, double the number of women in management roles, and make agriculture a more accessible career choice for people from all walks of life, it's critical that we address these issues. Not only be an industry of choice for the best and brightest people in Australia, but also, of course, we want to encourage those elsewhere in the world to come and join us. We need to make sure we keep putting the world within reach. The 70s, of course, also saw a huge focus on sustainability in a real and tangible way. Australia was a leader in the development of minimum and no-till technology, which revolutionised the way we farmed in the 70s. As early adopters, George and Faye might well have done it on their own farm too. Of course, the conversation today is all about climate change and sustainability at a time when the world is heading towards a lower carbon economy. I'm excited to say that in this space too, NFF is leading a collaborative, science-focused, whole-of-agriculture approach, joining our commodities who have all set ambitious targets of their own to support a whole-of-economy net-zero target by 2050 with some important caveats around the future of agriculture. I could nearly have spent my entire speech on this topic alone, but suffice to say that technology, science and research, again, will be critical, not only in terms of future options and opportunities for each individual farmer, but also in terms of driving our industry forward. The solution here, of course, is not to use Australia as one giant offset for emissions-intensive industries who are either unable or unwilling to do some of the heavy lifting themselves, but instead with an incredibly sustainable and efficient agricultural industry ourselves to look at agriculture, and more specifically, Australian agriculture as part of the solution. We are pretty much the only industry that sequesters as well as emits, and already as farmers, we recognise the value of carbon-rich soils and healthy pastures and other ground covers to our produce and to our business. We need to now refine the models to measure the complex environmental systems we manage and generate new income from the environmental outcomes that we produce. Our roadmap targets 5% of farm income or $5 billion being derived from environmental services by 2030. It's really the next frontier. Of course, farming actively for the environment and for climate change 
goes hand in hand with farming for the best and the most sustainable food and fibre. And in a world where food security is critical, aid organisations estimating that the number of those facing acute food insecurity across the world has soared from 135 to 345 million since 2019, we must not look at any of these challenges in isolation. History has taught us already of the nexus between food security and political insecurity. With the imperative of climate change, it's now critical that we recognise that environmental sustainability, food security and political security all go hand in hand. And Australia is currently leading the conversation in making sure that our global food systems are fit for the future. In terms of sustainability, it's critical that any definition or global rules are applicable to the Australian environment and production systems in which we farm. That's where the NFF's Australian Agricultural Sustainability Framework comes in. It's a national framework, the first of its kind in the world, that brings together the 46 current Australian data sets held in industry, commodity and farmer groups into a framework that is robust enough to stand up to international scrutiny and to portray Australian agriculture as an industry on the world stage. This will be a, a very effective tool in a global environment where we are actively being asked to prove our whole of industry sustainability credentials and will certainly ensure that at every level we keep putting the world within reach. Right now, I would say that the vibe around Australian agriculture has never been stronger. And that's bearing out in our figures. The recently released ABARES data shows a total of $70.3 billion of agricultural exports, a massive increase of roughly 50% over the last decade, and nearly $82 billion at farm gate, voting well for our $100 billion target. But there are certainly headwinds and challenges too at a time when the cost of farming has never been higher and the cost of food and fuel globally out of control. We have enormous headwinds, some of which I've talked about tonight. To solve these challenges, we need all hands to the wheel. We need leaders locally and globally, leaders in every community and at every level, to collaborate and focus on the challenges and the opportunities ahead. This week, we have lost Queen Elizabeth. And many stories are emerging, reminding us of her incredible and selfless leadership and dedication. No doubt there are many lessons in there for all of us, albeit at a slightly different scale. But tonight, I have a whole room of potential leaders in front of me. So I challenge you, what's your role? Where can you lead and how are you going to do it? Although as an avid lifelong learner, I often feel I still have so much to learn in this space. Tonight, I want to leave you with three quick leadership lessons that I've learned along the way. Firstly, there is no I in leader. Contrary to what many people might think, good leaders are not focused on themselves, but they are focused on others. Arming others with the courage, the skills and the commitment to step up to, sometimes to stand alongside, and sometimes to forge their own paths. Through my roles, I've had the privilege of speaking and meeting with many, many people in many countries across the world in a two-way knowledge exchange. 
I always love how much we have in common, no matter where we come from. Having the world within reach and enabling others is critical if we are to address some of our local wicked challenges here in Australia, but also the global challenges we have in a meaningful way. Secondly, leaders are made, not born. If a decade ago anyone had told me that I'd have the roles and the life that I'm living now, I'd have laughed in their face. Fake it till you make it. Make sure you find your tribe who's going to support you, enable others to stand with you, and take every opportunity you can with both hands to make lifelong learning a priority, both in Australia and across the world. You've started already. You're a part of Nuffield. You must keep your tribe across the world within reach. Thirdly, make sure you understand what actually drives you. Find your passion. Sometimes it might take a while and a bit of work. And maybe when you get there, it's not even what you thought it might be. But it's the most critical thing that you can do if your aim is to be a truly authentic, successful leader. It's passionate, authentic leaders that we need right now to address some of our challenges, make the most of our opportunities, and of course, to ultimately help lead in our own community, in our own industry, in our own country, and in the world. Lastly, I know George was keen on agriculture and keen on some good networking. So I think the time for me is to get out of the way and let the networking keep going. I want to leave you with a very well-known quote that I found at the beginning of my leadership journey and that I think about and quote often. I think it's very relevant to tonight. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go and do it because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this weekly wrap-up from the National Farmers Federation. For more information about the NFF, visit nff.org.au. Otherwise, stay tuned until next week for the next instalment.